Welcome to the podcast, Let the Prophet Speak. Today we are studying the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 10b. That's the second half of chapter 10, which we will hopefully complete today. As we study the book of Jeremiah, or Yirmiyahu. In the first half, we just compared, the prophet compared the folly of looking towards human creations, idols created by human beings, adorned with jewelry and clothing by human beings, and looking to them for power, looking to them for to be saved, rather than looking to the most awesome power that created us, looking to God himself, who created us, created the world, created the world around that we see and and is almighty and all-powerful. The second half that we're going to start today, starting in verse 17, um, changes a little bit the uh, tone of this chapter, actually changes it a lot. And um, as, as he finished exhorting the, the Jewish people not to follow in the f- folly and the foolish ways of the people that surrounded them, of the other nations that followed after these meaningless gods, but rather to follow God, he says as follows, verse 17. And there's many ways to interpret this verse, but let's go through it. Ispi me'eretz kinateh. Gather from the ground kinateh. And I'll have to translate that word in a minute. Yoshevet bamotzar. She who dwells in a matzor. And I'm deliberately not translating that word right now because there are many, many different understandings of this verse. First, I'm going to tell you um, what I would call Rashi A. <laughs> the first uh, explanation in the commentary of Rashi, who explains the word kinateh as from the language of kinaan, kinaan being a merchant. So, Kinatech would then be your merchandise. In this understanding, God is speaking about, or the prophet is speaking to the Jewish people that dwell in Judah, that are about to be attacked by the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, and destroyed. And he is saying, gather from the ground all of your merchandise. You know, gather it all together, put it in a bundle, in a suitcase. Yoshevet Bamatsar, she, meaning the people of Israel who are living Bamatsar under siege. That's how the first explanation of Rashi understands this Pasuk. The other way of understanding the word Kenatech is understanding it as a language that means um, from the Hebrew word Hachna'a, which is Kin'a, which is uh, 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 shame, right? So Ispi Me'eres Kenatech would then mean. As the prophet had many times talked about the embarrassment, the shame of the people for acting the way they did and therefore suffering their due punishment because of their actions. So so to speak, the shame is on the ground. Gather up your shame. She who lives in, in, in Matzar, gather up, excuse me, gather it up and run. The Radak, however, has a completely different understanding of this, of this verse who says as follows, it looks as matzor as actually a, the last word of the pasuk of the verse is actually a, a fortress, as a place of strength. And this verse is not uh, 
aimed at the Jewish people, but rather it's aimed at their attackers, their enemies. And in this way of understanding, it's kinaseich is for also from the root of hachnaa, which is um, could be looked upon as shame, but could also be looked upon as subjugation. So kinateich means those whom you have subjugated. And therefore the, this verse would read as follows, Gather from the ground those whom you have subjugated, she who lives now high and mighty in her fortress. So this would be directed at the king of the Chaldeans, of the Babylonians, telling him, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, telling him, you, you who live in your castle and your palace and you think you're so powerful and mighty, gather up all of those people to whom you have, whom you have subjugated because time is going to flip against you one day. It's not going to last forever. You're sitting high and mighty has an end. So the, how you read this verse 17 will strongly affect how you read the next verse, verse 18. So let's look at verse 18 and continue. Um, according to Rashi, in the first, either the first or the second, where it was referring to the Jews and telling them either gather up your bundle and run or gather up your shame and run, then verse 18 would read as follows, Ki amar Adonai, because so says God, I am going to throw or fling or, or, or throw the inhabitants of this land this time. This time when the punishment comes, I am going to throw you away, throw you into the far reaches of the world. And I am going to pain them or, or harass them in order that they, that they feel it, that they find it, that they feel the harassment. That would be how the first two explanations of Rashi would understand this. The Radak would understand this, though, differently. Because then it's directed to Babylon, to whom he's saying, don't sit so high and mighty because you are able to subjugate all these nations. Because so says God, I am going to throw around those that live in this land this time. In other words, this time I'm going to let you throw the people of, the, of Judah out, right? And I am going to to give pain, but it's not going to last long. So those are two very different ways of reading those two verses. Let's continue to verse nineteen, and here the question is, of course, who is the speaker? There's three different understandings in the commentaries as to who the speaker is of verse nineteen, and then the following several verses. One is to understand when it says, Oily, woe is to me, is referring to the prophet, Jeremiah, speaking, woe is to me. Another way of understanding is that this is God, Oily, woe is to me. Both of these understandings have their difficulties as we read through it. Personally, I like the third understanding of Oily being Jerusalem speaking. And we have had this very often, <clears throat> especially in Isaiah, where Isaiah speaks as if Jerusalem is speaking, placing the words in the mouth of, of, of Zion. So let's read it. Um, I'll read it my way, but I'll give some references to the other ways, and you'll see why they would be difficult. Verse 19, Oily al-shivri, woe is to me because of the tragedy that happened to me. Nachla makasi, my... Um, my, my 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 wound is my inheritance. This is all I've got. I, all I've landed with is my inheritance is just my wound. 
Vani Amarti, and then I said to myself, Ach Zechali Enu. This is only an illness, and I'm just going to have to bear this illness. Now, so far, this could be the the prophet speaking. This could be God speaking, which some of the commentaries explain, but it is a little odd for God to talk about his wounds and his illness. Although one could understand it in a metaphorical way, it's not completely impossible. But so far, that's one point for understanding that the prophet is speaking, and one point against the argument that it's God speaking. But if you understand it as Zion speaking, woe is to me, then it perfectly makes sense. That's one point in that favor of the interpretation that I pre- that I personally think is most correct. So let's continue verse 20. Ohalishu dod, my tent has been plundered. V'chol me taku, and all of the ropes that held up my tent have been torn and broken. Bonai, my children Yitzhauni have left me ve'enam, and they are no longer here. Ein nota od ali. No one is here anymore to set up my tent and place my tent. Umekimi riosai, and to and to um, hang up the to hang up my walls and build my my buildings, my tents, my temple. This verse then sounds like I mean. Remember, there are three possible speakers here. There's the prophet, there's God, and there's um, Israel, the, the Zion, Jerusalem. If this verse is referring to the prophet, it kind of sounds a little off. Uh, the prophet complaining about his tent. It just doesn't fit. I mean, it could be that the prophet is calling uh, the temple in a beloved way, the, my, my temple, my tent is, is destroyed, my building is gone, my children have left, but it doesn't sound like the prophet. It sounds more like uh, maybe God speaking, God referring to the temple as his temple, and his children referring to the people of Zion. That would certainly make sense. So this would be one point for God being the speaker, even though, like we said, that the previous verse, it did not sound like God was the speaker. It could, uh, and it's a point against the prophet being the speaker, even though he said before that last verse sounded like it was the prophet speaking. However, if it is the Zion speaking, then it makes good sense both verses. It is Zion suffering, and it is Zion complaining that my temple is not here, my children have gone. And then let's continue to verse 21. Ki niv aru because the leaders of the people have become foolish. Remember, Jeremiah has many times referred to the false prophets, the leaders that were constantly leading the people and telling them, don't worry, just go pray, everything's fine, bring more sacrifices, everything's fine, don't worry about it. Yes, Adonai Lodorashu, and they did not search out God. The leaders have become foolish, this is why they have not been successful. And this is why all of their flock, all of their people that they supposedly were supposed to lead have been scattered across the earth. This verse does not sound like God speaking because then it would not have said that they have not searched out God. If it was God speaking, it would have said they have not searched out me as the problem. It could be the prophet speaking, but again, it sounds more like it is Zion speaking here. Zion saying that the people have been scattered across the world because those that were supposed to lead them 
did not lead them. They did not seek out God. And that's why everybody left me, the city of Zion. Let's move on to verse 22. Kol shimu ahine There is a sound which is so loud that it is heard from far away. It is coming. Virash gadol tafon. And a tremendous... Um, Tremendous uh, commotion, a tremendous noise, a shaking is coming out of the land of the north. This is obviously a reference to the Babylonians and the Chaldeans who are on their way to attack from the north. And they are coming to make desolate the cities of Judah, Ma'on Tanim, and turn them into a place of ruins, a place where jackals and animals roam. In the next verse 23, there's also many different ways to understand it, and I am going to uh, mention several of them. Yodati Adonai, I know God, Kilola Adam Darko, that it is not man's his man's way is not his choice. The lo leish holech, it is not for the man who is going, that he should be able to trace this, to direct and control his own steps. Now there's a lot of different understandings of this verse. And uh, it's a little cryptic, but I'm going to bring four beautiful ways that the different commentaries understand it, each teaching a very different sort of lesson. First, I'll choose what I'm going to call Rashi A, the first understanding in Rashi. And that would be as follows. Yadati is referring to the prophet. I, the prophet, know. Kilo adam darko. That... It is not just a man's responsibility that he ends up on a certain path. It is not all his fault. Lo li'isho leich, the person that is going, it is not completely in his control, that he should be able to prepare his steps. In this sense, it is the prophet defending the people to God and stating that, God, you know there are so many obstacles placed in people's ways. There are so many passions, desires, emotions that push people to act in ways that they shouldn't. When a person goes in a certain path, even if it's a bad path, it's not always his fault. There are things set up that influence him that way. So in this sense, this verse is almost a a defense by the prophet as he speaks to God. That's one understanding. The next understanding is Rashi B. This is Rashi understanding it as follows. Yodati, I know God, right? And this is again the prophet speaking. But then what but rather what he's saying is Kilola Adam Darko. When a person chooses a path, it is not up to the person whether that path will be successful or not. Lola Isholeh. It is the, the to the person who is going. It is not up to him to make sure that his footsteps will go in the right direction and be successful. He can choose to go on a path, but he can't accomplish it if he doesn't have God's help. Therefore, Rashi fills in the blank. I know, says the prophet, that when Babylon comes, like I just told you, is going to come destroy. He can only be successful if you help him. Which is both a comfort and and a and and a terror because it's comforting in a way because it means you know God you can make sure it doesn't happen he can be the biggest strongest army but you can make sure he's not successful but it also is scary 
because it means that when he comes and he attacks and he is successful, it's not because of his choice alone. Yes, of course he chose to do it, but he could only have succeeded if God acquiesced and allowed it to happen. That would be our second explanation. The third explanation is the Mitsudos. And he understands that the speaker Yodati here is not the prophet, but it is the people. Sometimes the people as one can be spoken in a singular language. So I know rather than we know, but the I is, is the, really the we of the entire people of Israel stating as follows. We know that there was no man right, among us who chose the proper path. The derech here, the way, meaning the way of God, the proper way of God. Not just a way, but the, the way. There was not one person who chose to go on the proper path of God. There was not one person who decided to think and prepare his footsteps and so that they go in the right direction. This would go in line with what we learned in the beginning of Jeremiah 5, where God told Jeremiah, go look in the streets and see if you can find anyone who's going in the proper path. And unfortunately, Jeremiah couldn't. Then that would be what this, this verse is referencing. There is no person among us, says the people, whoever chose the right path. And we know that, and we understand that, and we realize that that's why we are being punished. A fourth understanding is the Radak. The Radak who understands that the Adati is the prophet, but he is speaking. I know God, yes I know, that it is not the human being that chooses his path, and it is not the person that is going along the way that chooses which direction his footsteps take him. And he references this to the fact that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, when he took his armies and decided to attack, his intention was to go to Ammon, but instead, he ended up attacking Israel and the Jewish people. And this, Radak is saying that we understand that it is you, God, who decides who ultimately bears the brunt of the anger, not the person who is the one doing it. So these are four different ways of understanding this verse. Now let's move on to verse 24. God, I understand that I'm being punished. You can punish me. Now, if the Yadati, if the last Pasuk, the speaker, was the prophet, then this is the prophet speaking. Okay, God, you can punish me. Ah, however, b'mishpat, punish me with justice. Punish me what I deserve, but I'll be abcha, not in anger, because if you do it in anger, then the destruction can be indiscriminate and pentamitani, and then I might become nothing. I might become tiny. I might become too small. If the previous verse was talking about the people speaking, then the Yasreni is the people of Israel praying to God. Okay, God, if you're punishing us, but please punish us with justice, not in anger, because then we might become so destroyed that we will be so small. But rather, and this next verse will be very famous to anyone who has been at a Passover Seder, would remember these verses as one of the highlights of the Seder. Rather than look to me and punish me in anger, in an indiscriminate anger, instead, pour your anger against those nations who refuse to know you. As we have seen so many times in the prophets in the future times, every nation will be taught, every nation will have the opportunity to come under the wings of God and to know Him and to be humble before Him and to recognize Him and to accept the morality that God is teaching us. But if you want to be angry, then go to find those nations that refuse to be humble, that refuse to take that choice, and refuse to get to know you. 
and against those families that never call out in your name, that continue to persist and insist that they go in their evil ways. Because those are the nations that destroyed and consumed Jacob, consumed your people. As if, uh, if you remember from Isaiah chapter 10, verse 5, where God said to the people of Assyria, yes, you can attack, yes, you can punish. But in the end, you chose not to just punish the Jewish people, you chose to indiscriminately destroy and rape and pillage. There was never any excuse to do that. That, God says, you decided on your own. I, I allowed you to be a, an instrument of, of my wrath and my anger and punish the people of Israel. But you, those of you that lo that refuse to know me, God, those of you that refuse to understand the morality that I stand for, you, Achluat Yaakov, destroyed Jacob, and you utterly destroyed it and crushed it and consumed it and devoured it. And this beautiful country that they used to have, you laid it completely to waste. That there was never an excuse for. They who, who, who administered indiscriminate, unjust destruction against the people, those are the ones, if you want to be angry and indiscriminate in your destruction, God, we pray to Him, directed against them, not against us. This completes chapter 10. Thank you so much for studying chapter 10 with me. Looking forward to studying chapter 11 together.